Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled Non-Covalent BTK Inhibitors for B-Cell Malignancies, MCL-CLL, Setting the Stage for Future Use, is provided by Axis Medical Education. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Lilly. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello and welcome to this educational activity entitled Non-Covalent BTK Inhibitors for B-Cell Malignancy, Setting the Stage for Future Use. I'm Anthony Mato, Director of the CLL Program at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. First, a disclaimer and disclosure indicating that we may be discussing off-label use of approved agents or agents that are in development. Here are my financial disclosures. During this activity, we will review the latest evidence for non-covalent BTK inhibitors for the treatment of CLL and mantle cell lymphoma. Let's get started. For the first section of the presentation, I'd like to begin by discussing where we are in 2022, highlighting the limitations of covalent BTK inhibitors, and also identify patients who are at most risk and have the most important unmet medical needs with CLL. There are several BTK inhibitor options that we can consider both irreversible or covalent inhibitors and reversible or non-covalent BTK inhibitors. For the irreversible inhibitors, we have ibrutinib and acalabrutinib, which have been approved. We also have zanubrutinib, which is in development. For the reversible inhibitors, we have vecabrutinib, nemtabrutinib, and pirtabrutinib. For the purposes of today's presentation, I will highlight the data for nemtabrutinib and pirtabrutinib. Chronic lymphocytic leukemia is a CD5-positive mature B-cell neoplasm. There are several compartments that, for which patients present, including peripheral blood involvement, lymph node involvement, and bone marrow involvement. It's generally a disease of the elderly with a median age of 72 years. It's the most common leukemia in Western country, and there's a heterogeneous clinical presentation where some patients may never warrant therapy, some are treated immediately, and some are treated on average five to seven years after the time of diagnosis. Over the last several years, there have been remarkable basic translational and clinical scientific advances which have led to an era of targeted therapy for the treatment of patients with CLL. Here I have a schematic of important cell signaling pathways that are relevant to modern therapies for treating patients with CLL. Targeted therapies are now the standard of care options in the frontline and the relapse refractory setting you won't hear me discussing the use of chemotherapy or chemoimmunotherapy at all for patients today. The two most important pathways are the B-cell receptor signaling pathway, where we have covalent irreversible BTK inhibitors approved, including ibrutinib and acalabrutinib. I'll also highlight that the PI3K inhibitors are also involved in this pathway as well, as well as the apoptotic pathway, where we have the BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax approved. In terms of the covalent BTK inhibitors, again, we have ibrutinib and acalabrutinib. They bind irreversibly to the BTK protein. They're oral continuous therapies. And there are several trials that I have highlighted here, and I could have included more, where we've demonstrated not only improved progression-free survival as compared to controls, but in some instances related to ibrutinib and improvement in overall survival. Just as one example, this is the Resonate trial which compared ibrutinib to the CD20 antibody ofatumumab, demonstrating an improvement in both progression-free and overall survival. The median PFS in a heavily pretreated patient population for ibrutinib was 44.1 months. I also wanted to highlight some limitations for the class of the covalent inhibitors. These include the major reasons for discontinuation, which are intolerance and resistance. 
This is a real-world data set that our group published looking at 616 patients treated with ibrutinib, both in the frontline and relapse refractory setting. I want to highlight that 41% of patients discontinued ibrutinib with a median follow-up of 17 months. Toxicity accounted for the majority of discontinuations, both in the frontline and relapse refractory populations, with the most common toxicities leading to discontinuation, including AFib, infection, pneumonitis, bleeding, and diarrhea. This is just one example of many studies that have identified covalent BTK inhibitor intolerance as an emerging issue in the field of CLL. I also wanted to highlight the second most common reason for discontinuing a covalent BTK inhibitor, and that's acquired resistance. The majority of patients have identified mutations in BTK cis481 at the time of disease progression on ibrutinib, and you can see there the range is between 53 and 87% of patients. We also see downstream activating mutations in PLC gamma 2 as the second most common identified reason for discontinuation due to resistance. This is not only limited to ibrutinib, but also seen in patients treated with acalabrutinib, for example, where 69% of patients with progression also had a CIS481 mutation. So again, highlighting that intolerance and resistance are major issues that we need to address for patients treated with covalent inhibitors. What agents are available to patients? From the perspective of having prospective data, you can see that venetoclax has been tested in patients who were previously treated with ibrutinib and who discontinued either for intolerance or progression of disease and is an active agent. It is approved as a fixed duration or as a continuous therapy in the relapse refractory setting. And here you can see VEN as a continuous monotherapy resulted in a median PFS of 24.7 months following ibrutinib. I also want to highlight the double exposed patient population, which still represent a major unmet need. These are a subset of patients who have been treated with a covalent BTK inhibitor and venetoclax. We call them double exposed if they've both been treated with and double refractory if they're actually resistant to both classes. In terms of standard of care options, they're quite limited to chemotherapy or PI3K inhibitors. I'll just highlight that those agents or those classes have not really been tested prospectively in this group of patients. And then, of course, clinical trial options include non-covalent BTK inhibitors, CAR-T, and other classes. And I'll highlight today the data for the non-covalent BTK inhibitors. Here we have a real-world data set presented at the most recent ASH meeting, looking at several classes of agents tested retrospectively in patients who were previously exposed to a covalent BTK inhibitor and venetoclax. Let me just highlight two different classes here just for comparison. The PI3K inhibitor, small number of patients, but median progression-free survival was only five months. The non-covalent BTK inhibitors as a class, we saw a response rate of 75% with a median PFS that was not reached. And so these retrospective real-world data really do indicate that this class is quite promising. Let's go into the details from the clinical trials. Before I do so, I do want to present one more data set that we looked at retrospectively for PI3K inhibitors following BTK inhibitors and venetoclax. And I'll just summarize with a median PFS of four months for the class of PI3K, we did not see durable remissions and therefore probably not an acceptable standard of care in the third line setting in the modern era. So in summary for the covalent BTK inhibitors, intolerance remains the most common reason for discontinuation. We do have head-to-head -head data for ibrutinib versus either Xanu or Acala. The next-gen agents do appear to be more promising from the perspective of AEs. In terms of resistance, cis 41 mutations are the most common cause of resistance to ibrutinib, and emerging data suggests the same for patients treated with other covalent BTK inhibitors. 
Therefore, switching from ibrutinib to a cala, for example, in the setting of resistance, won't result in a durable remission. Now we'll delve into the non-covalent BTK inhibitors. I'll highlight today data for two agents, nemtabrutinib, or formerly Arcule 531, and pirtabrutinib, LOXO305. Pirtabrutinib is a highly selective agent with minimal activity against non-BTK kinases. You can see that highlighted here in this kinome map. It has a longer half-life and increased BTK occupancy. And the drug is designed to be very specific for BTK, therefore minimal off-target effects. But because of its binding mode, it can overcome resistance due to cis 41 mutations and should be active in patients with resistant disease. Here's a cartoon looking at LOXO305 versus ibrutinib. Clearly, you need to have a cis 481 to covalently bind BTK. When you have mutated disease where you have a serine in that place, ibrutinib can't bind, but LOXO305, due to its different position, is able to bind. Here we have a schematic of the cis 481 mutation from cysteine to serine. These are, again, the most common reasons for discontinuation, both resistance and intolerance to the non-covalent inhibitors. And when you think about alternatives, as I presented early on, the covalent inhibitors aren't a great choice in the setting of resistance, but maybe can be used in the setting of intolerance. Venetoclax is active, but complicated due to its administration route, may not be appropriate for all patients. And then while prospective data are lacking on PI3K inhibitors, the retrospective data are not promising at all. And now I'll go into the clinical data. Here again, you see that same kinome map that I highlighted earlier, and the preclinical data that I've included on this slide really emphasizes the fact that this molecule is quite active against both wild-type and cis 81 mutant BTK. It's highly selective for BTK, and due to its binding mode, the BTK inhibition is not impacted by the intrinsic rate of BTK turnover. Therefore, the properties of this molecule would allow for sustained BTK inhibition throughout the dosing interval. Next, I'll delve into the Bruin trial, which is the phase 1-2 trial looking at pirtabrutinib in patients with CLL and other B-cell malignancies. We've now treated 252 patients with pirtabrutinib who have previously received a covalent BTK inhibitor. So those are the patients I'm going to highlight in the later part of this presentation. Again, just as a reminder, the Bruin trial is a phase 1-2 trial, 3 by 3 design initially to get to the go-forward dose of 200 milligrams DLE. Patients had relapsed refractory CLL or B-cell malignancies. The primary endpoints were safety, tolerability, determination of the MTD, pharmacokinetic data, and then efficacy results, including overall response rate, duration of response, and progression-free survival. Here we see the waterfall plot indicating that nearly every patient had a significant reduction in their lymph node volume when treated with pirtabrutinib. All patients here had received a prior BTK inhibitor. Dark blue indicates patients who had discontinued due to progression. Light blue indicates patients who had discontinued due to toxicity. Hash marks indicate prior venetoclax exposure. And with all that being said, the overall response rate across the 252 patients was 68%. In terms of progression-free survival, for the entire population with a median number of three prior therapies, the median progression-free survival was not reached. For the double-exposed patients with a median prior therapies of five, the median progression-free survival was 18 months. 74% of BTK inhibitor pretreated patients remain on pirtabrutinib, and then median follow-up here is 9.4 months. Across many subgroups, we can see the response was maintained. This includes all BTK pretreated patients, patients with a deletion 17P, patients with a cis 481 mutation and a PLC gamma 2 mutation, 
heavily pretreated patients, including those who are pentavalent failures, who had received BTK chemotherapy, CD20, PCL2 inhibitor, and a PI3K inhibitor, and then as well as no difference regardless of the reason for discontinuation. And with ongoing follow-up in the subset of patients who have had 12 or more cycles of therapy, the overall response rate has deepened to 73%. Here are data on the safety profile for pirtabrutinib. You can see overall this molecule is well-tolerated. There are only four adverse events that are seen in greater than or equal to 15% of patients, fatigue, diarrhea, neutropenia, and contusion. BTK inhibitor-associated adverse events like AFib are quite low at 2%. No DLTs were reported. The MTD was not reached, and the discontinuation rate due to adverse events was only 1%. So in conclusion, pirtabrutinib demonstrated promising efficacy in CLL patients previously treated with BTK inhibitors, as well as several other modern therapies. We saw favorable safety and tolerability consistent with the design of pirtabrutinib as a selective and non-covalent reversible BTK inhibitor. And I'll just highlight there are several ongoing clinical trials of importance. The CLL321 trial randomizes pirtabrutinib versus investigator's choice, IDELA-R or BR in the relapsed refractory setting. 322 randomizes PIRTO, rather VEN-R plus or minus pirtabrutinib as a time-limited therapy in the relapsed refractory setting. And the 313 trial randomizes pirtabrutinib versus bendamustine rituximab in treatment-naive patients. Of course, there are patients who do progress on pirtabrutinib with CLL. These are the progressors from the MSKCC cohort. I'll highlight a recent paper published by our group in the New England Journal of Medicine looking at mechanisms of resistance to non-covalent BTK inhibitors on pirtabrutinib, and just highlight that we identified novel acquired mutations in BTK at the time of disease progression. While preliminary, this is quite interesting. And if interested in this data set, I would highlight you to review the paper in more detail. I also want to highlight data on other molecules that are non-covalent inhibitors. Here we have data on MK1026 or nemtabrutinib, which is also a non-covalent inhibitor studied in CLL and other B-cell malignancies. I'll focus today on the data for nemtabrutinib specifically in CLL. Here we can see the overall response rate was 57.9%. And the median duration of response for responders was not reached. This is not progression-free survival. You can see that 94% of patients had any decrease in their lymph nodes, while 69.7% had a greater than or equal to 50% decrease. Here we can see the adverse event profile. Grade 3 or higher treatment-emergent adverse events occurred in 68% of patients. You can see treatment-emergent adverse events leading to discontinuation was 7.6%. And here we've listed all of the adverse events, treatment-emergent adverse events that occurred in 20% or higher of patients. And you can see they're in descending order, fatigue, constipation, dyskusia, cough, nausea were the five most common. Now I'll delve into mantle cell lymphoma, specifically looking at pirtabrutinib. Michael Wang presented updated data for pirtabrutinib at the most recent American Society of Hematology meeting. And mantle cell lymphoma is a disease where patients have actually less options than patients with CLL. Covalent BTK inhibitor resistance in mantle cell lymphoma and other lymphomas is not completely understood. cis 4 one mutations are uncommon, and bypass alterations and epigenetic changes are likely the more common mechanisms of resistance. And survival data following covalent BTK inhibitor is poor. And here you see several data sets presented Median overall survival, 2.9 months, 8.4 months, 5.46 months, a patient population with an extremely poor prognosis. 
The Bruin trial treated 134 patients with mantle cell lymphoma with pirtabrutinib. For an efficacy evaluable population, there were 111 patients of whom 100 had a prior BTK inhibitor. Here you see the waterfall plot where nearly every patient had a significant reduction in their lymph node volume. The overall response rate in the BTK inhibitor pretreated population was 51% and was 82% in the smaller subset who were BTK inhibitor naive mantle cell lymphoma patients. This is duration of response. The median duration of response was reached at 18 months for responders. 60% of responses are ongoing. In conclusion for mantle cell lymphoma, Pirtabrutinib demonstrates promising efficacy in mantle cell patients previously treated with BTK inhibitors, a population with an extremely poor prognosis. Favorable safety and tolerability are consistent with the design of Pirtabrutinib, as I already highlighted in the CLL section. And there's a randomized global phase three trial comparing Pirto with investigator's choice of covalent BTK inhibitors and BTK inhibitor naive relapsed mantle cell lymphoma. So essentially Pirto versus Ibrutinib, Acala, or Zanubrutinib. I'll highlight here uh, summary data for the non-covalent BTK inhibitors. In, setting, in terms of intolerance, we have promising safety data with favorable AE profile and low discontinuation rate due to AEs. This is particularly true of pirtabrutinib with head-to-head -head comparison planned versus ibrutinib in the future. In terms of resistance, we have promising phase 1-2 data suggesting reversible BTK inhibitors can overcome cis for 81 mutant CLL and possibly other mechanisms of resistance. I've included a sequencing algorithm for patients who start with a covalent BTK inhibitor um, and then may discontinue either due to progression or intolerance. Right now, I've included uh, non-covalent BTK inhibitors on the algorithm where they approved, but certainly the trials that I've highlighted provide opportunity to move this class of agents up to even higher levels in the relapse refractory or frontline settings. I've also included a sequencing algorithm that includes venetoclax and obinutuzumab, focusing on the reasons for discontinuation and incorporation of, of current therapies, where you can see non-covalent BTK inhibitors could easily fit into the third-line setting with more modern trials, um, hopefully moving this up or potentially moving this up to earlier lines of therapy. I also want to discuss a case today, and this is a 64-year-old female who presents to your clinic with a history of stage 3 CLL, deletion 17P. CLL was diagnosed eight years ago and treated initially with Fludara, cyclophosphamide, and rituximab. She relapsed five years later and then was treated with ibrutinib for nine months, however, discontinued ibrutinib in the setting of adverse events, specifically headaches, vomiting, and diarrhea. She was then switched to venetoclax plus obin, but this was discontinued also due to adverse event in the setting of pancytopenia. Now she's progressing uh, following discontinuation. She has a high white count, depressed hemoglobin and platelet count, palpable lymphadenopathy at several locations, and also has drenching night sweats. She's also lost 20 pounds in the last three months. After you've ruled out Richter's transformation, you decide she needs CLL-directed therapy. She's only interested in oral medications, not IV, and so you um, are mindful of her preferences and consider the following choices. Single-agent idelalisib, rechallenge with venetoclax, chlorambucil, or acalabrutinib. And in this setting, the patient chooses acalabrutinib, completely reasonable option given that it is all oral, um, so respectful of her choices. And also, uh, she previously discontinued ibrutinib in the setting of intolerance. She has minor headaches on acalabrutinib, but it gets over that in the setting of um, receiving Tylenol. She has no nausea or diarrhea. However, uh, 15 months later, she develops progressive lymphadenopathy and B symptoms and is found to have molecular testing revealing a cis 4 81 mutation. 
So now we have some other options to explore. Oral chlorambucil, enrollment on a trial looking at Xanu plus Obin, enrollment on a trial looking at pirtubrutinib, referral for transplantation. And I'll just go through these choices and give you my opinion. Oral chlorambucil is not a standard of care in this setting. Uh, first of all, chemotherapy in general has not been tested in these patients who've been receiving prior uh, targeted therapies, but certainly chlorambucil is, is a medicine whose time has passed. It was introduced in the mid-50s. Uh, this would not be a viable option. Zanubrutinib also would not be an option here, um, particularly because of the cis 4 one mutation. This really renders the class of covalent uh, inhibitors to be ineffective. Pirtubrutinib, I think, would be an excellent option here. This patient is just the patient population studied on the Bruin trial, and therefore we would expect to see the same results or similar results to what I presented. And then transplantation, uh, particularly allotransplant, which could be considered in a young fit patient, but I would the disease needs to be controlled initially anyway, so you need an agent like Pirto to do so, and then you could consider that, but I wouldn't consider that the treatment option at this time. Thank you so much for participating in this activity. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Axis Medical Education and is supported by an educational grant from Lilly. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.